Well, hello and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are in our fourth week of Bridging the Gap, and Chris is talking about sacrifice and faith today. In this sermon, he quotes C.S. Lewis, who says, The only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until it scares you, because only then do you know that you are giving by faith. And that's exactly what Chris is calling us to do today. Give by faith. Here's Chris. Exciting, isn't it? Yeah, we got some great projects coming up. Hey, if you are joining us for the first time, welcome to the Vineyard. We are in the middle of a series we're calling Bridging the Gap, and uh, we really feel like God has given us four projects that we're calling Bridges that are just going to be transformational for our community and, in, in, and around the world, really. We're really excited about them and, uh, and, and felt like at the same time, God wants to do some transformation in us as well. And I love the stories that I'm hearing so far, what God's doing in people's hearts, and it sounds like God's speaking, and there's some, some wrestling going on with the Lord, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really good thing. If you're, you're struggling and wrestling with what God might be calling you to do, that's why we're taking six weeks to go through this, because we want Him to have time to speak to your heart and you to have time to work things through with Him. And so uh, we are in week four of this series. The first week we laid out the vision and mission that God has called us to, something bigger than ourselves to live for and give for, and um, and those are the bridges, and if you want to know more about those, if you're new, you can go online, and of course, you can pick up the Bridging the Gap notebook in, in the uh, lobby uh, on your way out, and that'll tell you a little bit more about those. Uh, the second week, we talked about the fact that this is transformational, not transactional. That, that really what God is up to is be beyond making generational impact in our community, uh, beyond, um, beyond expanding His kingdom uh, for the sake of our friends and family and neighbors um, and, and transforming their worlds, uh, that He wants to transform our worlds uh, and, and our lives and, and really dial in in places where maybe we've kind of grown complacent. And then the third week, we talked about the importance of faith and trust. The, the really, the key to that transformation is taking risks, trusting God, watching Him come through, and then just being blown away by how amazing and faithful He is, and then our faith goes up a level. And, and that begins a cycle of faith and growing faith rather than of complacency, which again is not our friend. This week, what I want to talk about is sacrifice. Are you ready? Good. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. We covered verse 2 two weeks ago, but I want to go back to verse 1. And this is what it says, the Apostle Paul writing. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So in light of the fact that God has been unbelievably merciful to you, that he loved you so much that he sent his only son to not just become a human being and step out of paradise, but to and walk among us and deal with all the things that all the frailty of humanity, but to then be sacrificed on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so you could be made right with God. That's the kind of mercy that God has for your life. In view of that mercy, in view of that mercy, he says, offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice. Now, when we think of sacrifice, we think of something different than they would have thought of. Um, they would have thought of, I bring an animal to the temple and I sacrifice it. Um, okay, so a dead sacrifice, right? Sacrifices are dead. So the fact that he says living sacrifice is something new, it's something different. And what he means by this is, is that we die to ourselves and we live to Christ. That was one of Paul's themes. And, and so, so when we come to a fork in the road and I've got my plan and God's got his plan, we defer to him. That's a living sacrifice. We want what he wants more than we want what we want. He, his way over my way. Living sacrifice. Got it? All right, good. All right, so, uh, and he says, this is holy and pleasing to God. This makes God smile. And then he says, and I love this, this is your true and proper worship. Now, when we think of worship, what do we think of? Music, 
We think of music or we think of a worship service. We're in a worship service here. And those are forms of worship. But the highest form of worship that Paul lays out here is a life submitted to God. A life surrendered to Him. Not just up here, but in how we live out here. A living sacrifice. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. We covered this a couple weeks ago, which is me, 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 more, more, more. That's the pattern of this world. He says, but be transformed. God's ultimate goal for every single one of us, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That when we're walking with God that way, when we are a living sacrifice, when, when we are allowing His Word to shape our life and our behavior and all of that, and we're walking, actually walking in that, not just saying we're walking in that, that the, the work of the Spirit to guide and direct your life and to know what God's will is, is a foregone conclusion. I just, so that's that. This is your memory verse for this week. And that brings me to point number one, which is this. Living sacrifices crawl off the altar. If you have your book, open up to page 30 in your book. We've got notes there. And I, I might actually hit all the points today. We'll see. Living sacrifices crawl off the altar. What does that mean? That means that surrender is really a, a daily event. That, that, that submitting our lives to God might even be a moment-to-moment event. Well, I might surrender a part of my life to God, but then take it back later. Anybody ever do that? Say yes. Yeah, nobody's raising their hands. I'm, just, I'm the only one. And it also is an indication of what we do in our, with our hearts and, and the condition of our hearts in our relationship with God. Now, I want to speak just for a moment to people who've been walking with God for for a while and people who have gotten to that point. We talked last week about tithing. Uh, And I want to speak to the tithers for a minute because it's really easy when you get to that point. You you know, God gave us a number, check, I'm given that. I got it all checked off. I'm good. It's really easy for that to become religion. It's really easy for that to become a box to check rather than something that affects our hearts. And guys, the point of following God is not to check boxes. That's religion. The point of following God is a relationship with God, allowing Him to stretch your heart, stretch your faith, and and grow you in His character. That's the point. And here's what I know from personal experience. After a while, once you decide to start tithing, and it may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take a couple years, but sooner or later, God backfills all of that, and you don't even notice anymore. And the effect that it has on your heart can become about checking a box rather than about listening to God and what He's calling you to do. Remember last week I talked about, with the latter, I, I, I talked about the goal is not not the tithing step. The goal is extraordinary generosity, extravagant generosity. Why? Because there's not a number to attach to that. It's, it's God, what are you calling me to do? Where are you calling me? How are you calling me to stretch and grow in this? The question isn't 10%. The question is, is my faith and trust in God? The question isn't 10%. Question is, whose kingdom am I building first, mine or his? It's where am I looking for contentment? Really, it boils down to this Does your level of generosity require faith? Does your gener- level of generosity require faith? We want a box to check off because we're people and we want to build religion. And God wants to challenge us. Not once, but as a, for a, as a lifestyle. And so for some of us, that level of giving that requires faith might be 11% or 15% or for some of us, 50%. I don't know. Only you. That's why I told you. I'm not going to give you a number. I told you pray and ask God what He would have you do and then do what He tells you. But what level of generosity requires faith? I love the story of R.J. Letourneau. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. He uh, started out as a, he became a Christian and discovered this concept of generosity and giving, and he started to give, and he's like, this is really fun. 
And, uh, and he gave a little bit more, and he eventually started to tithe. And then he's like, well, God, what do you want me to give this year? And he raised the percentage, and he just did it by percentage. By the end of his life, he was giving away 90% of what he made and living on 10%, called a reverse tithe. And he's the guy that's famous for saying, you can't outgive God. Every time he would give more away, God would pour more back into his lap to give away. God found a conduit of his resources to do good in this world and to build his kingdom in this world and just continued the cycle of blessing to be the blessing. Sound familiar? And what you will learn personally if you allow God to, to challenge you and stretch you is that you can't outgive God. And the more you give, the more he gives you to give. And if you stop at 10%, you've missed the point. Again, I'm talking to people who, have, who are tithers at this point. And someday, if you decide to become a tither, there will, it, it won't take very long. You won't miss it. And you will need this message as well. If you stop at 10% and you're like, okay, I'm checking the box and it's not doing anything to your heart, it's time to crawl back on the altar. And it's not the number you give, guys. It's, it's what that number does to your heart. C.S. Lewis, uh, author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia, and a bunch of other books, uh, he uh, came to faith middle of the last century. Uh, he set out to disprove Christianity. He was, he was setting out to kind of confirm atheism and ended up being radically saved, coming to faith in Jesus and becoming one of the most um, most prolific and intelligent uh, authors of the last century uh, and wrote so much about theology. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis, you should. This is what he says about generosity. He says, the only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until it scares you. I'm going to read that again. The only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until it scares you. Because only then do you know that you are giving by faith. Well, you can hear a pin drop in here. I love the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you don't know the backstory, Abraham, God shows up to Abraham. He's married, has no kids, he's older. God says, Hey, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you into a great nation which means you're going to have kids, which would be kind of miraculous at that point. But he says, you're going, to have, you're, going to be a, you're going to be a great nation, and through you I'm going to bless the world. And, uh, and then God doesn't do anything for like years. But eventually God gives him a son, Isaac. Isaac's the promise. He's the answer to the promise that God has, has made to him. And then after, I don't know, he spends some time with Isaac, Isaac, the, the, uh, the, the child that he loves more than anything in the whole world. The child who is the, the, the plan, the way that a, a nation would come about in the future, the, the, that is the fulfillment of the promise that God gave him. And then God shows up after, after a time and says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. And in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. That's an uncomfortable sacrifice. Can I get an amen? Yeah, now if you know the story, we've just covered this recently in our Genesis series. There's so much great stuff in that passage. I encourage you to go back and watch that sermon online, Genesis 22. But um, if you know the story, God stops him at the last minute. God's testing him, as it says right here. He wants to know that Abraham trusts God more than Abraham trusts Abraham. He wants to know that Abraham, in Abraham's life, that God is first. And even though Abraham doesn't quite understand how this is all going to work out, he believes that God's going to work it out, that God is kind of what we covered last week, that God is good, that God loves him, that God's plan is better than his plan, that God's smarter than he is. 
He believes that. And so even as, as he heads up the mountain with Isaac, he says to his servants that they leave behind, we'll be back. Because he believes somehow, he's not sure how God's going to come through. When they get to the top of the mountain, God stops him at the last minute and says, okay, no, don't, don't do that. And he provides a substitute. But he was testing him. And God from there blesses him. And that's what God does. God blesses uncomfortable sacrifice. You know, sacrifice for every one of us is different. You know, and God will call us to sacrifice in different ways in our lives. And He will, as we step into that, He blesses us in the midst of it. He blesses a submitted life, a, um, a, a surrendered life. One of the ways he calls us to sacrifice is in, in, the, in the context of generosity. And he blesses uncomfortable sacrifice. Now that's different for everybody. For some of us, that may be a one-digit number. For others of us, it might be a four-digit number or a five-digit number or a six-digit number or even a seven-digit number. That, that's where I start to get scared, right? It, we're all in different places. One of the things I love about this church is that we are a hodgepodge of all of society. It's not just one socioeconomic group or race or anything else. We are, we are all over the board and we are all brothers and sisters. And I love that. And we're all in different places. You know, the first week of the, the series, we gave you guys these little coins. They're kind of like pennies, but this, this would have been the penny of Jesus' day. It's called a mite. And we read about this, this form of, of, of currency in, this is a recreation, it's not actually a 2,000-year-old coin, but um, it's a reproduction. But I asked you guys to be praying about what God might be calling you to do in the context of bridging the gap and to use this, these mites as a reminder of that. Well, I want to go back and read the story in Luke chapter 21, verse 1. Jesus is standing in the temple with his disciples. They happen to be near where the offering box is. The people are putting their, their offerings in at the temple. And, uh, and it says this in Luke 21, verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small coins that looked just like these. A couple pennies. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. In other words, they're not going to miss it. It wasn't a sacrificial gift. They didn't feel it. But she gave out of her poverty and put in everything she had to live on. Now I want to be clear. This, this, this story is not about God calling us to give him everything we have, to empty our bank account. Let me put it that way. That's not what this is about. What it is about is giving until you feel it. Giving it until you have to trust God. Giving until it's sacrificial. And when we do, it blesses us in ways that what we gave could never bless us. God blesses us in ways that what we gave never could you know as as good americans we love our stuff can i get an amen we do we do that's what makes this series kind of uncomfortable because we're talking i'm stepping on stuffed toes and uh and 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 and, and calling us to wrestle with like oh it's our other religion. And, um, and so, and, and I love it because I think, I think all of us, if you genuinely want to follow Jesus and are seeking to follow him, we want to be challenged in the places where we're complacent or the places where we've crawled off the altar. And, um, and so we keep coming back. You guys keep coming back. It blows me away every weekend. So a um, little faith exercise for you and the arena of stuff. If you have a possession that you can't live without, sell it. 
If you have a possession, you can't live without. Sell it because you don't own it. It owns you. And it's just stuff. If you can't live without it, you need to live without it and find that Jesus is enough. As, as we were putting this series together, one of the things we're doing is the, the college students and the youth and even the little kids are all going through bridging the gap. And so we're trying to contextualize the lessons to the different age groups. And with the little kids, I sat down with Rachel, our children's director, and I said, I got this crazy idea. What if, because they don't really have an income, you know, they're not doing math yet and all, all of that. I said, but what if, what if we asked the little kids to donate their very favoritest toy in the whole world? And, and, and we both went, <gasps> you know, it was like, that, that would be, that's hard. Yeah, and they wouldn't miss it in two days, right? I mean, it would be like, and, and, and the lesson that it would teach is if we have something, we really don't miss it anyway. It's just a thing. My hope, my, my affections don't need to be in that thing. They need to be in God. And then we're going to bundle them. Let's bundle them up and take them to the kids down in Costa Rica that we're working with. And we all got really excited about that. And we're talking that through. And we're, we're actually going to do that. And parents, just a word to you, do not bring in all your toys. This is not an opportunity to get rid of your stuff just their favorite toy all right and uh but what a lesson to learn that lesson at that age I got really excited about it and then I heard the Lord whisper to me I want you to donate your favorite toy too I was like you Oh, the blood drained from my face because if you know me, and many of you, most of you do, my favorite toy is my motorcycle. And I was like, oh. And I'm so glad that it, it went that way. I'm so glad that I was like, oh, God, oh. Like I had to wrestle that through with God. And as I did, and I got to the other side of that, I got so excited about what God might do with that. Like, I don't want that to own me. I don't need that. If God wants me to have a bike, he'll give me another bike. I was talking it over with my son. My son Deuce and I have this kind of dream together to do this motorcycle, maybe on YouTube or whatever, but this, this motorcycle adventure travel show through West Virginia. And, uh, and so when he, we started talking about it, he was like, well, how are you going to, how are we going to do a motorcycle show if you don't have a motorcycle? I said, I don't know. I said, but we need a whole lot more than a motorcycle, and I have a feeling that if God wants us to do a motorcycle TV show, He's going to provide everything we need, including the motorcycle. Let's not worry about it. Let's just be obedient and trust God for the outcome. And I'm excited about it now, right? The only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until it scares you. Because only then do you know that you're giving by faith. Point number three, God will test your faith from time to time through sacrifice. When God calls us to sacrifice, and we kind of have that motorcycle moment where we're like, <gasps> and we have to work through that, it stretches our heart. It reminds us of why we're here, what we're living for, who's in charge. It, it challenges us to, to really evaluate, is God still on the throne of my life? Is He still my King? Is he still in the driver's seat? Have I given him everything? Do I really believe he owns it all? Do I trust him with my life, my future, my family, my security? Do I trust him? It's a heart check, sacrifice is. Am I still on the altar? And I really believe that this series, in, in a lot of ways, and especially in some of the conversations I'm having with you guys as this thing is unfolding, God's doing some amazing things in people's hearts and lives as they're praying, as couples are talking things through. It's really, God's working. He's doing what I hoped He would do. And at the end of the day, we're all having to wrestle our hearts to the ground on this topic, which is great, because until you do... You won't be free. Brings me to point number four. The pathway to blessing runs through sacrifice. The pathway to blessing 
runs through sacrifice. There's a great account in Genesis chapter 13. Abram, Abraham and Lot. Lot. You remember Lot? Lot was Abraham's uh, nephew. And when he left the land of Ur to go to the promised land that God was going to show him, Lot came with him. They're all one big family, but they're kind of two little families too. And uh, Lot and Abraham are doing really well and and um, and things are going pretty good, and they come up from Egypt, and they go back to the promised land. And in Genesis 13, 1, it says, So Abraham or Abram went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. He made it back. and where he had first built an altar. And then it says this, and don't miss this line. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So they're doing well. They come back. They make it finally get back to the promised land where they probably should have been the whole time. They're, they're there, and Abraham turns his focus to God. Well, this, this argument breaks out between Abraham and Lot, not really between the two of them, but between their herders. They have so many sheep and so many cattle at this point that they're getting in each other's way, and they're starting to argue over who has rights to what wells and what grass and all of that. By rights, Abraham should have first dibs. God, it was the promise God made to Abraham, the promised land. It was, he was the, the patriarch. He, by all accounts, has first dibs on whatever he wants and can tell Lot he doesn't want, doesn't get anything, but that's not what he does. In verse eight, this is what it says. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So what Abraham does is he says, look, I'm going to sacrifice my by rights choice of what for you, you pick. Doesn't have to do that. And Lot decides, well, the greener grass is over here. That the better wells are over here. And this is where I'm going to get. He makes really good business decisions for enriching himself over the long run. He picks the very best of the land and he moves down and he moves right outside of a town called Sodom. Heard of it? Say yes. Eventually he moves into Sodom. Then he becomes an influential person in Sodom. Abraham has to go save his butt a couple of times and and eventually God destroys Sodom. So, uh, Lot's wife had been grown so fond of, of the, the lifestyle and everything else that, that she ends up getting turned into a pillar of salt on the escape. And Lot's life becomes a wreck. He makes good business decisions, bad life decisions. I mean, and, and we've, we've been through that part of Genesis. It gets really wacky from there. But what happened here? Abraham defers. Abraham sacrifices and trusts God. Lot pursues his riches and ends up with this dysfunctional, messed up family situation. Abraham, regardless of whether he had the best land or not, is just continually blessed by God. The pathway to blessing runs through sacrifice. It runs through open hands and an open heart, through trusting God, because God can bless you and provide for you much better than you can. And He does when we are surrendered to Him. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will reward them for what they've done. When we are generous, when we are open-handed, God rewards us. He blesses us. In Proverbs 11.24, it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Now, the math doesn't work on that, does it? 
So often God calls us to live in this paradigm that is the opposite of what our world tells us. What does our world tell us? Get, 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 gain, 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 accumulate, accumulate, and you'll grow more, more, more. And what God says is give, live open-handed, and I'll take care of making sure you have everything you need. One person gives freely, it gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. That's the story of Lot and Abraham, right? It is. In 1939, we were at the end of about a 10-year drought in the American West. It was called the Dust Bowl era. Anybody ever see pictures? Nothing's really grown for about 10 years. And there were some farmers still left out in that part of the, part of the country, and they had about 12 months' worth of grain left to eat. If they ate it, it would last 12 months. If they planted it, it would last six months. You know, there's only two things you can do with grain. Well, actually, three now we can make ethanol, but, uh, which is really silly, but that's another conversation. Um, we can eat it or we can plant it. Now, if you eat it, it's gone. If you plant it, what does it do? It's like magic. It multiplies, right? You, you, you reap a harvest that is 10 or 20 or 30 times what you planted. And the way to make sure you always have enough to eat is to make sure that you always plant enough to grow, to replenish so that you can plant again the next year and have enough to eat, right? Make sense? The problem with this scenario is that it requires faith to take perfectly good grain and put it in the ground, does it not? Because it's out of your control. God's got to show up. God's got to make it rain. You know, farmers, the farmers I know are some of the most rooted in just the practical aspects of faith people that I know because they live dependent on God. God wants us all to live dependent on him two things you can do with seed you can eat it or you can sow it in 1939 these farmers had to make a decision they put the grain and they put half the grain in the ground and it rained and a harvest came and they reaped the harvest but it takes faith to sow it takes faith to sow what if it doesn't rain god what if you don't come through trust me he says the truth is, most of us really don't trust God, not practically speaking. Planting seed teaches us to trust God, like it teaches farmers to trust God. And it's time to start planting some seeds and reaping a harvest. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 hits on this topic. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Let me unpack that for you. You plant a little bit of seed, you get a little bit of harvest. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Plant a lot of seed, a lot of fields, a bigger harvest. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, he makes very clear here in verse 7 that he's talking about generosity. And he's saying, give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you have your Bible open or this is in your book, underline not reluctantly or under compulsion. This is why, this, this passage is why I will never pressure you to give or give you a number or manipulate you in any way. I will teach you what God has to say, ask you to pray, listen to what he tells you and do what he tells you because he doesn't want us being manipulated or coerced. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you've decided in your own heart, you've worked it out with him, I'm excited about giving a motorcycle. Cheerful giver. That's what he wants from you as well. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having what? All the seed you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. And then I love verse 10. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. God provides our needs and our seeds. Hey, that's pretty good. Somebody write that down. I need that for nothing. He provides our, he provides our bread 
And He provides our seed to sow as well. And He wants us living a life trusting Him enough to sow the seed. Now He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. If all we do is eat the seed, we'll eventually run out of seed. That which we hold on to, we lose. That which we plant, we multiply. And God wants us to use what He's blessed us with to do both. I put it this way, what you sow, you will grow. What you eat ends up in the toilet. What you eat, you will flush. And if you will sow, you will find out that you can't outgive God. You'll find out He's totally trustworthy. He holds your life in His hands. He has all the seed you will ever need. Now, I want to put some legs on this for us. You know, we're on, in this six-week journey, bridging the gap. Week one of, the, of this, you got this book, and in the book, you got this card. And this card is a discipleship tool. And we're going to bring these cards in in two weekends on March 19th. But I want to walk you through this. Now, we have two objectives for this series. For this series, One is to do a whole bunch of really good stuff that is going to make huge impact in our city and in our world. All right? And to do that, we need to raise about $2.5 million. I'm not even worried about that. Like, God's got all the resources in the world. Not even concerned about that. The second goal, which is really the primary goal, is that 100% of us will pray and ask God what we should do. We'll invite Him to challenge us, to stretch us, to invite us out in a step of faith. And if we do that, man, we got this. Not a problem. But even more significantly, it will begin to change your heart and your life. And that's what I am all about. It's a transformational step with God. It's what I want for you, not from you. And I think God's going to give a lot, of, a lot of us a number that is not safe. One that is going to make us go, Ugh! that stretches your faith. Some of us are going to take a step of, from allowing our living to define, to define our giving to allowing our giving and choosing that our giving will define our lifestyle and our living. Huge step. Huge step. And God is going to do amazing things through that. So this card, I'm going to put this up on the, on the screen here. The top part of this card, and you can find this on page 48. In fact, take your book out and turn to page 48. Or if you got the card, you can just, in hand, you can, you can just open up there. On the top part of the card is a chart. It says two-year goal, $2.5 million, and there are a bunch of numbers on there. This part of the card is just to help you visualize, one, what kind of, what kind of giving it's going to take for us to get there, and two, to help you visualize what it might look like for you to challenge yourself past your comfort zone. This is just designed to help you stretch, and I want you to pray over that. Now, the bottom part of the card is a little worksheet. It says calculate here on the card, but there's a bunch of lines. And I just want you, I want to walk you through. There's been some confusion about this. People have been asking. And so I want to, as you pray over this, and if you've not been praying over this, get started. Start now. Put this somewhere where you're going to see it. Um, you know, tape it to the mirror, the dashboard, the refrigerator, wherever you're going to see it most frequently and pray over. But the bottom part of this card, do we have? There we go. We've got a bunch of lines. And so I just want to walk you real, real through, real quick through what these lines are. The top line says, what I or we normally give in a year. 
Now, you know what that is. I don't know what that is. If you don't know what that is, you can reach out to the, our, the office at the church and we'll have a record of that if you, if you need that. But whatever you normally give in a year, that's the number that goes there. Some of us, that's going to be zero and that's okay. I mean, we, we had you in mind when we decide, designed this whole Bridging the Gap initiative. You're going to take a step forward in your generosity. And so if it's zero, put zero there. For some of us, it's a very modest amount. I'm excited about what God's doing in, in, in all of us, wherever we are in our giving journey. There's some of us who just give a little bit because we've got trust issues, maybe from a previous church that we were involved in or in relationship or whatever, and God is starting to, to work on your heart in the arena of trust, and that's what He's up to in you in this series, and I'm so excited about that. And so honored and humbled that you would consider and choose to trust, uh, trust us in this process. So what you would normally give in a year, and then the second line, there it is, our additional annual generosity commitment. So what that is, is we got what we normally give in a year, and then we got my expanded giving, I'll put it that way, on an annual basis of expanded giving. What is God calling you to do in addition to what you normally do. You know, the, the, the ministries and the projects that God has given us in Bridging the Gap are expansions in ministry, which requires an expansion in budget. You know, a, a unfunded vision is just a dream, and God has called us to do more than dream. He's called us to actually do these things. And so this is the expansion part. This is where God is challenging us. And that, that's all for oh, annually for one year and so that third line add line one and two together and then it's going to be a two-year process we're going to give over the next two years for bridging the gap so that's that line number three times two and that you bring that over and that is your two years of giving but there's one more line there's one more line underneath of that it says my our stored resources now I heard the question this week, somebody's like, I'm not comfortable sharing all my store, you know, like my stocks and my mutual funds and, and uh, 401k and all my assets. I don't want to share that with the church. I don't want you to share that with the church. I'm not comfortable with that. You keep that to yourself. What this means is um, my motorcycle's going on that list. It's a stored asset. It might, maybe you have real estate that you're like, it's just sitting there. I could do some good with it. I heard a story about a guy who had a boat. And he was like, I go out on the boat two or three times a summer and I could change lives instead of, it's much better to have a friend with a boat than actually have a boat anyway. So, sold the boat. It might be savings. It might be, it might be stocks. It might be real estate. It could be whatever stored resources you have. You know, like I don't need to die with that much stuff. I'm going to give it now and see the good come from it. Great. That's what the stored resources are. And then you're going to add those together, those two lines on the right side together, and my total giving over the next two years. Now, all of those lines above are just to help you think this through. The only number I need is on the, on the, on the, the sheet. You can put all the other numbers on there if you want, but my total giving over the next two years. That's the important number. And then you figure out the math on how you're going to give that over the next two years. Does that make sense? You know, on the, on the, had this thought on the stored resources side of things, invite you along on giving your favorite thing, your favorite toy. Think of the, the five most valuable things you own and ask yourself, what would it look like for me to give one of those things back to God? just as a, as a challenge. And I'm not saying he's, he's telling you to do that. I'm just inviting you to, to consider it. Guys, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal for us as a church and the impact we're going to have in our community, but it's also a big deal for you personally. And I want you to take the time over the next couple of weeks and pray hard. Listen intently. Let God stretch you. Let Him challenge you. Let Him scare you. 
God is moving. Look, look around this room. Look what God is doing. There, there's so much coming our way, guys, in the future. He's changing lives. And we're just getting started. So, the goal, the primary goal, 100% participation. And I hope that you will, will participate and jump in. If you have any questions, like, I, I, I want to, but i, I got to get this question answered. Reach out. Grab me. Grab one of our staff. We'll be glad to talk it through with you. But just remember that this is a discipleship tool. This is about stretching your thinking, expanding your heart. It's not a transactional tool. It's a transformational tool. Don't miss the transformational opportunity. Tomorrow night at the church building on Warden Run Road, there's a a group of us gathering the, the, the leaders of the church together, and you're invited to come if you want. If you've prayed and God's given you a number and you're ready to, to do that, you're welcome. We're going to do a, a little early commitment uh, event, and you're, you're welcome to come if you like. But I really encourage you, pray, listen, and do what He says. And He may give you a bigger stretch than you ever, ever imagined. But at the end of the day, whatever he says, do that. You'll never regret it. I want to leave you with a story. I got a call Friday night from a good friend of mine who's been part of our church for forever. And um, as we were talking, uh, she said, you're not going to believe what happened. And I'm like, well, what happened? And she said, well, I um, we, the mar married couple, uh, we tithe for all kinds, you know, for a lot of long part of our married life, and then our daughter went to college, and we stopped tithing. I'm like, oh. So, no, I didn't. I was, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And she said, so as we're going through this and as we're praying, we both felt like God was speaking, and we both felt like what he was saying is, you need to start tithing again. And so we're like, okay. And then as we prayed a little bit more, like we got, got together the, the, the next week and we felt like what God was really saying was you need to start tithing and you need to pay back the four years you missed. That's a big number. And they were like, how are we going to do that? That's, and they wrestled with it. And they, you know, and like me and my motorcycle, they were like, oh my gosh, because it takes your breath away at first. And then they started to get really excited about about the possibility and they started doing the math and they're like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then, so they had made the commitment to one another and to God. They, I don't think they've started yet, but this was this week that they had made that, that commitment. And, um, and then they got a call. Um, and what they found out is that they had a financial issue to deal with that was so big that there was no way that they could do what they had just committed to God to do. It was like completely blew them out. They're like, oh, how are we going to do? So my friend the other night at small group is sharing with her group and is saying, I don't know how we're going to do this. God's going to have to come through. This is what we've decided to do. But I mean, we're completely blown out at this point. But I can't wait to see how God comes through. Well, her husband the whole time... Uh, had some information that she didn't know. So they get in the car and they're heading home. And he said, oh, I forgot to mention, my boss called me into his office today and gave me the biggest raise I've ever gotten in my entire life. And it completely covers everything. I'm like, <laughs> and she's like, I just can't believe, can you believe it? I'm like, I can believe it because I hear this story over and over again in different ways. And I hesitate to share stories like that because I don't want to be the pastor that says, hey, you give or you make a commitment to give and God's going to give, you know, you give $5, God's going to give you 50 because that's not how this works. But I can say this. If you can get your heart free from the love of money, 
and you get your hands open and be a conduit of God's resources and blessing, He will pour blessing into your life. And the biggest blessing for them was not the money, but the fact that they can point back to for the rest of their lives and say, God comes through. And that will change the way they live in every other area of their life and the peace that comes with that. And that's what this is about, guys. As good Americans, our hope is in stuff. And our hope needs to be in God. And we need to be living lives that depend on Him, that see miracles along the way. Not that we're trying to figure it out and game God and figure or game, or game the system. And it's not about the stuff that we have or the stuff that we die with. It is about walking in a dynamic relationship with our God. And you can't put a price on that. And at the end of the day, you'll find out you can't outgive God. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I just sense that there are some of us that you want that, but it's scary. You want that dynamic, miraculous, walking with God kind of life where you find your contentment, your peace in him just tell him right now in the quiet of your heart let's have that conversation with him I'm not even going to give you words you can give you can use your own words but in the quiet of your thoughts just say Jesus I want that I want you I'm afraid give me courage Holy Spirit, would you set us free? God, would you convict us where we've crawled off the altar? Help us to live lives of radical obedience and enjoy the adventure you've created us for. Jesus, you came to bring us life in all of its fullness and we've settled for religion. Where we have, God, would you wake our hearts back up you wipe out the fear? Would you wipe out the complacency? Would you wipe out the greed? Would you give us a vision for our life that actually matters? Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face to face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.